This episode is brought to you by DistroKid. Okay, round two. Name something that's not boring. A laundry? Ooh, a book club. Computer solitaire, huh? Ah, oh, sorry. We were looking for Chumba Casino. That's right. Chumbacasino.com has over 100 casino style games. Join today and play for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. Over prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Hey, everybody. Today's guest is none other than Anthony Ranieri from the band Bayside, one of the nicest guys in rock and roll. Anthony decided to preview the song The Walking Wounded, uh, which was the first song written for the album of the same name. Anthony shared how he always starts with a concept for a song while he's writing. He described the first verse of The Walking Wounded as straight out of Fiddler on the Roof, talked a little bit about a time signature change within the song, about how Bayside recorded with Shep and Kenny, who were largely pop guys who had previously worked with Leanne Womack, Aaron Carter, and Mandy Moore, and how The Walking Wounded was the first album they made after their tragic van accident. For all this and more, stay tuned. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. Hey, hey, have you heard? Krista makes a podcast. All right. Uh, hello to all my listeners. I'd uh, like to start uh, this podcast off by saying that I have someone behind the scenes. I actually, I'm, I'm pretty big time here. I have a, actually a producer that helps me with the show. His name is Chris Fafalios, and he plays in the band Punchline. And uh, you know, researching my next guest. I say researching. I've known I've known Anthony Ranieri from Bayside for many many years. But uh, I like to to do a little research. And uh, upon stumbling on the, the Wikipedia page, I did. And realize the history that uh, uh, Chris uh, and Punchline uh, have with Bayside. So, uh, hello, Anthony. How are you? And hello, Chris. Hello, Chris's. <laughs> hey, Anthony. I'm glad to make my my debut. Come come out from behind here. I'm like a combination of Robin Quivers and Baba Booey, kind of. But I'm I'm gonna I'm gonna, <laughs> I'm gonna pick my spots. Uh, but it's nice to make my debut on an episode with Anthony because I've known him for a long time. I feel like we've played in like holes in the ground <laughs> together before. Yeah, we sure have. <laughs> holes yeah. in the ground and whatever you know, potholes, things like that back in the day. And uh, so I'm glad to uh, be here with you. But, well, well, thank you, Chris. And I, I you know I wanted to introduce. Chris, because uh, uh, and, and have uh, the listeners get get to know you because uh, Chris is going to be you know a lot of you have written and, and wanted to hear maybe my story about songwriting and I'm like well who the hell is going to interview me so Chris is going to probably at some point and uh, among other things we have planned uh, he he's a great guy and uh, yeah so Anthony how you doing today how everything good in your world everything's good yeah nice uh, bright and early here in Nashville Tennessee. Good deal. Yeah, I like, I like to get people early. That way they're not angry yet, typically. Yeah, well, I mean, when it comes to interviewing <laughs> musicians, I guess there's only a handful that you could really grab this early, right? Well, yeah, I mean, you're a sober guy, so I figured you'd be right. fine, you know. Yeah. <laughs> I'm a sober guy with a six-year-old, so uh, early yeah. riser. Yeah, so you, I guess you could be angry, but um, so uh, you know, the I'm really, really happy that you you took the time to uh, to to do this with me. I appreciate it. Uh, known the Bayside guys for forever. Uh, done numerous uh, uh, tours, uh, festivals, warp tours uh, with them. Uh, great group of guys. Great band. And Anthony uh, uh, picked a song that I was just super excited about because I remember hearing this song for the first time and. I have so much to ask and talk about with this particular song because uh, it's uh, it's I love it. It is a quirky. It's the arrangements crazy. Everything about it in songwriting, I love it. It's called "The Walking Wounded." Uh, Anthony set it up. Do you do you remember? Uh, uh, you know, this record came out uh, in two thousand seven. Do you remember when you wrote the song? I do. I remember writing the beginning. I wrote the intro and I wrote into the Klesmer, like the verse, the, um, with the, the time signature change. And right. <laughs> that it was one of the first things I wrote for that Walking Wounded record too. And I, it really kind of set the tone for what I think we were going to do on that record. I wrote this, you know, it's, it's a crazy change to that verse. I mean, that intro into that verse is 
a crazy departure. And it's, it was sort of the introduction of like the whimsical aspect of Bayside that became sort of a staple from then on. Well, when I went and researched the tune, you know, a lot of times when you look, you know, it, it'll, you know, there are different bands do different things with publishing, but it lists all four of you as a writer. But is this a sole composition from you or did the other guys write on this particular song, lyrics and or music? We all share, we share publishing on everything. You know, everybody contributes everything. All the songs with us start with, uh, I write, I write a, like something on a guitar, I write a chord progression uh, and a melody and lyrics. And then... Okay. Um, I write pretty much everything on an acoustic guitar for the most part. Um, and then I give it to those guys and then they turn it into a rock song. Yeah, you know, because, you know, you guys were bore out of that uh, that New York scene where uh, a lot of, um, for lack of a better word, uh, uh, pop punk and emo and, mm-hmm. you know, your first couple records, you were, you were finding your, your, your footing, finding your sound. And when I heard this song, I was like, it starts off with this riff that just it's kind of feel good. It's major. It it kind of has almost like an 80s thing to it. And it's just catchy as hell. And then it goes into like, for lack of a better word, this polka part with a friggin' accordion. Speak like a one-armed boxer Throwing punch after punch And I'm like what is this? And it's yeah. just, it's the coolest fucking thing. And and then what I love about it is it never goes back to that, which is, <laughs> which you, you kind of want it to, but it, but it's so clever and perfect that it doesn't. So set that up. How the hell did you work that in with that time signature right there at that particular point in the song and say, this is going to be the first verse. Going into it was easy. I remember that. I, I remember because, like I said, the first idea I had was that intro, and that, and then I wanted to go to that like klezmer, um, you know, straight out of Fiddler on the Roof uh, <laughs> verse, <laughs> <Right>. you know. <laughs> so that was the that was the concept. It was. I always write with a concept. I know what I want to do before I do it. You know, I always think like I want to do. I want a song that goes like this, and it's going to have this kind of vibe, and then I have to go find the notes that do that, you know. But I, I always, I always start with a concept. So I knew I wanted to do that, and that. So going into it conceptually for me was it, well, technically was easy because I had the concept. So I, I was able to do that. But coming out of that was, I, I remember being the hard part, figuring out how to go from that three four, um, right. polka thing to. Uh, back to a punk song um i remember that being that being really hard and chris uh our drummer had to he really was the one who figured out those transitions to get in and out of these time signature changes it was because it's essentially a fill that bridges the gap you know was the was all of this done in like pre-production with you guys or what did shep and kenny the producers shep goodman and is it kenny uh, uh Gioa? Joya. Jo- Joya. Joya. yeah how, how did they uh, shape this particular tune do you remember or did you kind of come in with it uh chris figuring out the time signatures and all that already as you as you came into the studio yeah we had that stuff figured we had all the songs written we had well i mean chris fafalius can definitely attest to this because they made records with shep like right or in the same era probably a year or two before we made walking wounded with them um and they're shep and kenny are pop guys um so what our relationship with them our working relationship has always been that we bring we bring the weird and then they figure out how to they help (laughs) us make it palatable Right, right. You know, so all the weird shit, the time signature changes, the key changes, the crazy lyrics, the like crazy melodies, the long non-repeating chord progressions that we do. Mm-hmm. We come with that and then they figure out how then they're they're basically as pop guys, they have I don't mean this as a as an insult, but they have simple ears, I guess. So they are that they're the ear of the listener for us where they yeah, the, le- the like, least common denominator. It's hit them exa- over the head. Yeah, exactly. And, and, you know, a band like us who likes to try crazy stuff, we need somebody like that because yeah. we need to, because you could be in love, you know, as a songwriter, you could be in love with this thing that you wrote. You may have labored over it for weeks or months and it's this masterpiece in your eyes. And then you need that, that other ear to be like, okay, I know you think it's great, yeah. but, but it's not, it's like, I don't get it. 
You know what I mean? So, you, you definitely need that balance of uh, what's fun to play as a dude in a band and yes. what's going to sound good to the average listener's ears. And Shep and Kenny were that. Uh, the one thing that I would mention, you, you, Anthony mentioned their pop guys. They produced... Uh, like I Hope You Dance, if you know that song. I forget who even sings that, but that was like a huge song. And uh, Liam, well, yeah, uh, Liam Womack. Womack. I hope you dance. I hope you dance. And, and they did oh, okay. like uh, Marcy Playground, Sex and Candy, and, and things like that. Um, Mandy Moore, Aaron right. Carter, like real early 2000s. It's interesting. Who knew? Who knew? Bayside could have been a a boy band at some point. It just didn't happen, I guess. Well, you know, it's funny. It's like (laughs) you know, for all the weird stuff that we do, we having like pop sensibilities and being catchy is also really important to us. So, of course, they they were. They've been super. I mean, I still work with Shep all the time on projects. So that's great. um, Ever since then, we we did our first record with them in two thousand four or five we we made our self-titled record with them Mm -hmm. um and even to this day like 15 years later i still work with shep all the time yeah some some of those odd pairings are my favorite things ever you're like this producers comes from a metal world but he worked with a pop star and it just somehow it worked the production just you know what i mean it's just that 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 that's uh intriguing to me Um, yeah it's a good yin yin yang relationship that we have because i like to get i like to get weird and and he and he helps me you know keep it so that people are going to understand what I'm doing. Right. Well, I feel like with this song, this album in particular, and uh, you know, it's just my opinion, but this is what set you apart from the herd. I mean, you, you had, you know, bands have to find their, their footing. They, they, they start out. Um, and, uh, certainly journalists have to pigeonhole you and say, Oh, they sound like pop punk. They sound like this. And, right. you know, I've taken all kinds of different stuff away. You've had breakdowns that remind me of, of newfound glory. And, and, and then you'll have uh, verse parts that, that sound a little like alkaline trio. You have these other p- parts that sound uh, post-punkish, like senses fail. But this song, when I when I heard this tune, I was like, "Okay, this sounds like Bayside. Like nobody is going to go into an accordion polka part. Like that's just <laughs> like seriously, man. Kudos and, and, and tip of the hat to you guys. This song was really different. So, you know, it goes from that part, and then you're in, you know, the, these verses, which again, I, I I'm going to throw out the, you know, it's kind of like uh, uh, alkaline trio. It's got that kind of vibe, and then the chorus hits. And um, you say here, scientists, they couldn't fix me. I'm so tired of getting out of bed. But who would want to die as a cowardly little child when our time is up? will be ashamed or proud. And I've heard this song a ton. I went back and probably listened to it 10 times in the last couple of days before I had you on. And I read through the lyrics. I'm trying to figure out what this is about. Would you mind sharing that with our listeners? So it's basically it's called we called the song The Walking Wounded. We we knew we were going to name the album The Walking Wounded as we were writing it. Before we even before the whole album was written, we knew that we wanted to write make the record uh make the Walking Wounded record. Okay. And it comes from this is the first record we made after we got into our our accident. Um yes. a few about a I guess it was with probably less than a year before we went into the studio to make this record. Um, and that comes that that actually came from something that the paramedics said. They referred to to us as uh, Jack and I as the walking wounded because we were injured. But but uh, you know it's a meta, it's a it's a term. It's a real. We didn't invent it. It's a term that right. basically means the in, the injured that that can still that are still mobile. Um, and we wanted coming out of our coming coming out of the accident and the year that we had. Uh, leading up to making this record, we what we what what we were trying to do as people um, was to overcome basically what what we went through, you know. And we wanted to show you know the, to us the, naming the record "The Walking Wounded." We said we want to make a record about being injured but being able to carry on, and right. that so that this the, that's that's really what this what this song is about, and. Again, this this record, like you said, like this is this was Bayside, you know, like we did a lot of stuff before this and we were finding our footing and but this is when we became Bayside. And I, I totally agree with that. Oh, man, so, I, 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 it's it's like it's like you arrived with this with this song in particular. There's something about this one that's special. Well, then lyrically, I mean, this this whole record really is it. it 
what I did with this song and with this record is was the beginning of what I what I would do forever after this, which was try to write songs about how things are fucked up. You might you might be fucked up, you might be battered, you might be torn, you might be in a bad way, but there's always hope. You can always you can you can rise above it. It's within you to mm-hmm. to, to get past it. And that's up until this record. Um, I was writing about how I hate you and I'm upset and it's your fault and this is how I feel and everybody should care about how I feel. Um, and then this was the record that I was like, you know, I, I'm bummed, but how can I not be bummed anymore? I'm upset. How can I not be upset anymore? I'm mad. Why am I mad? You know? Right. Anthony, right. all the uh, people um, that I know that are like mega Bayside fans, like fr- friends of mine and stuff, that is like the element of your band that whether they come out and say it, you know, they might try to act like, oh, it's the shredding guitars and it's the aggression of the music. But I, I really feel like right. every person I know that's like a huge Bayside fan, that what you just described about your message and about your music, I just know that is what. And I think that's as a whole the Bayside fan base. Uh, that's what they latch onto, and that's what's so cool about you guys, man. Yeah, and, that's. I mean, that's awesome because I, I mean, I think it's. I think it's an important voice to be out there in the world because, especially in our scene, because it's. You know, we're they call us emo for a reason. It's you know, it, it is sad. It is depressing, and we do. Bands like ours are sort of a commentary on on life. We're not a you know we don't write songs about partying and having a good time. We do write about the darker side of life, but we just want to make sure that we mention that there's that there's hope. And what we had been through leading up to making this record, we felt like was the prime example of like you can go through the worst things imaginable and come out the other end. Yeah. And those are both great points, guys. But I, and I will interject, though, uh, as depressing, quote unquote, uh, uh, and emotional as the lyrics are, they are so uplifting for other people that listen to you guys. That's you know? great. That's yeah, great. They, they are. I know I have uh, friends of mine that just you're, you're their favorite band and they just, you know, and it, and it really all goes back to lyrical content. I mean, I've heard how many bands have we heard that with ripper players, amazing. But at the end of the day, you, you have a hard time latching on to their song because, you know, the message is just, I don't know, just, just isn't, uh, doesn't resonate with you. Mm-hmm. Um, and, and everybody in your band is, is a ripper. Uh, Chris, uh, Nick, Jack is just insane. Jack's the most, in my opinion, underrated guitar player, uh, in the scene that we, we, we come from the punk, punk rock world. I mean, uh, Jack should be a household name. Um, uh, yeah, so he's unbelievable. I always un- say that Jack is Jack is the reason that I'm not a better guitar player because when I because <laughs> I, I you don't I, need I, to be. Fuck I it. was like yeah, exactly. I was like 21 when I met Jack when jo- Jack joined the band, and I, I that's pretty much when I stopped practicing the guitar because I was like, okay, well, I don't need to be any better than this, like because Jack's here now, you know. And he's so unassuming. He just kind of sits there. He's quiet, you know. He just he just picks up that guitar and just sings, man. It's just unreal. So that was the question. Another. Thing Thing I wanted to ask. So you bring this wacky ass arrangement and you have this idea. Do the, do the guys uh, ever look at you and go, what the fuck are you doing? Like are, are, um, are, sometimes. Are <laughs> <laughs> yeah, sometimes I definitely, I, I do. I, I'm, I guess I'm the, I'm the Paul McCartney to their, to their John Lennon. <laughs> I think, you know, I'm, I'm the whimsical uh, weird one for sure. But I, I think, you know, walking wounded for us was definitely we went out on a limb. I think with all this, these kind of weird ideas, like with with the klezmer part, and we have reggae parts on the record. Like, there's definitely there's depart, there's tons of fucking key changes and time signature changes. This is where where we really started getting wacky. But it's our biggest record. You know, it was our biggest record. So when that paid off. Um, then it was like, okay, cool. We could do whatever the fuck we want now. You know what I mean? Like apparently like the kids are going to come with us wherever we go. So I'm glad you brought, brought, yeah, I'm glad you brought up the key change because as I'm listening to this, I had to fast forward or, you know, go to the end of the song, but I had to, I had to go back, uh, rewind to the the first chorus. I'm going, cause at the end it appears that you do a key change, but it's, it's because of that wacky bridge and everything that you go to, that was the key change. So when you came back to the chorus, it sounds like a key change. Am I correct? It, yeah. There, so it goes into the key. There's it's, it's a double key change at the yeah, end. Which yeah. It was an idea that I got from, um, the stand, the song St- REM and, uh, <laughs> Yeah, uh, the cool. REM version of Stand, where there's a double key change at the end. Yeah. Uh, now, say, 
I remember hearing that and I was like, oh man, double keychain. Because uh, this song, basically, the, the idea, the concept for this song was to like keep you on your toes. You know what I mean? So it comes out ripping, it immediately drops out. So you have this like, what the fuck just happened feeling before you figure out what just happened. It goes back to being to being fast again. Then it's fast and then there's going to be this like fucking ripping solo. And you're, it, basically we will... And then, you know, and then it goes to the a piano breakdown, the a piano breakdown, which is yeah. the big sing along. And then there's a key change and then there's another key change. So basically, like we, we kind of wanted you to never really we wanted to, we wanted you to need to rewind the song to, to have to. But a lot, a lot of times like when you when bands do that or, you know, songwriters decide, oh, you know what, I want to be mature and clever. And they start doing these weird key changes. It just it's 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 like knee jerk you know you're, you're like it's like a whiplash effect where you're like what's going on but this seamlessly works and then what i love at the very end that same kind of wah-wah guitar tone that jack had during the lead it comes back in doing the melody of the chorus and that's kind of how the song ends it doesn't end with vocals which is odd too yeah i mean we so, we so the idea was again it came from stand and it was to do the key change which you know you think is the climax it feels like the climax the key change outro chorus that's when you you think the song is over because that's when most songs are over right but and then to go up again which is now that second key change brings it out of my vocal range and then the guitar takes over because i can't sing it essentially uh, so yeah yeah and oh it's uh that's cool. <laughs> I'm going to well, thank you. It's I, a wacky I, you, know, you borrowed from stand and I'm going to borrow from walking wounded. I'm going to steal your trick at the end there when I take well, it, either, man, either take that it. or have Roger sing it. Cause his voice is so high. You know? Yeah. <laughs> but, um, so, you know, when you, when you wrote this, obviously it was coming from a place of, of, of grief. You were, you guys were trying to heal as a band and move forward. Um, you know, I like to ask this uh, of my guests about about this song, um, you know, because I feel this is I, I, I'll use the word again. I feel this is a special song in your catalog. And it's probably one of the reasons why you picked it. Um, did you know it was special at the time? Did you know it was going to resonate with your fans? I didn't know if it was going to work. I knew it was special um, just because it was something that nobody else was doing. Uh, so I guess it was like a high risk, high reward moment, you know, but having gone through what we just went through, I don't think we gave a shit. You know what I mean? Like, like having been through the accident and losing John and picking ourselves back up. And like to us, we had arrived already just because we were making another record. I think that we felt like we arrived. So like the normal thoughts that go through your mind when you're making a record of like, Oh, are they going to, are the kids going to like it? Are our fans going to like it? Are we going to disappoint them? Is it, does it still sound like what people love us for is, are we going to make new fans for it? Like none of that was crossing our mind at the moment because we just thought that the fact that we were making another record after we'd been through meant that we succeeded. So if it, worked it worked and if it didn't it didn't and we were still going to be proud that we even made a record like i said so um and then that's where the high risk high reward kind of comes in because it did work and like you said it's what set us apart yeah i mean it was just again i i've liked you ban your band since the first time i heard you and i, I even, loved you even more when i got to know you as people but um yeah, it was just like, again, you have to start somewhere. You have to uh, establish yourself and, and you're young and you're still trying to learn how to be a songwriter. You're, you're getting better on your instruments. And, you know, I'll use the term again. It's like you guys arrive with this. It was like, OK, this no longer sounds like an amalgamation of, of influences. This sounds like Bayside. This is them, you know. And, you know, so going back to, you know, you guys formed around 2000 and uh, um you did the EP, a long story short, and from there you, you did your first full-length Sirens and Condolences in 04, and then in 05 you did the self-titled uh, Bayside record. Um, between all of those projects, besides the tragedy that happened, how do you feel that you you grew as a songwriter from from the, the first three projects? Like, how did how did you take the leap to, to this record? The biggest difference, I think, that <clears throat> between the first record and this record, so the through the first, second, and third record, I mean, and I, Shep, I'll always say, is is a mentor of mine, and he really taught me how to listen to my songs as a listener 
he taught me how to get out of my own head you know it's how to basically how to wear two different hats that's so it's so important it is it really is and you don't even know you're supposed to do it you know and until uh, until it becomes obvious that's that that's what you're supposed to be doing so that was a huge thing for me that i learned between those records was how to write a song as an artist and then step out of it and listen to it like as if you didn't create it with no tr- try to listen to it with no emotional attachment how is this going to come across to other people and that's not to say that it's so much as like in a way that you're trying you're going for mass appeal necessarily it's not it's not so much in a in a in a pop way it's more in a like like I said, like when we wrote Walking Wounded, it was like, I want to go into this dropout verse where it gets, it's wacky, but then before you even like figure out what's happening, it's going to change. And then there's going to be this ripping solo and then the key changes and then there's going to be another key change. And that's thinking like a, a listener. That's th- that's putting yeah. yourself into the listener's shoes and thinking, how is this going to emotionally affect them? How am I going to manipulate them like yeah. with the, with this, you know? and. That's that's really what I learned between those records was how to manipulate the listener. Interesting. Interesting. So, and it's such a great thing that you brought up about being able to get out of your own head and out of your own songs, because as, as a young songwriter, uh, you know, I was very protective early on. And then, you know, that was protective within the band. If Roger or anybody made a suggestion, it was like, well, you don't like my song, you know? Yeah, it's difficult. And, it's difficult. <laughs> and then, then we start working with producers and you're like, well, you're not in my band. Who, who the hell are you to tell me, you know, about my songs? And they're like, well, uh, you, you idiot you hired me yeah totally like i I hardly care what the bass player thinks like i'm supposed (laughs) to fucking listen to you yeah yeah (laughs) and it's like it's like you know uh, and i remember the first time and and but when i was able to stand back and um and i was equated to i i played baseball growing up i always had coaches and then i when i once i accepted that the producer was was my coach for some reason, it clicked. I was like, "Okay, this is no different than the coach telling me you know, get your arm up, Chris, when you're when you're you know gonna gonna throw a curveball. Get your elbow. Yeah, up. yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, and uh, and 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 from that point forward, I was able to constructively listen and and separate myself, which is really difficult from that thing we call demoitis, where we put our heart and soul into something and we and we sit on this demo that we have for three weeks or a month. We think it's the greatest thing in the world, and then we share it with the band or producer, and they're like. Well, why isn't the chorus doubled at the end or why isn't this and you're like what do you mean <laughs> right no yeah i mean that, i think that's a great analogy actually because <clears throat> i mean you know p- a pitching co- you know the guy who taught nolan ryan how to pitch is not a better pitcher than nolan ryan but he's got a different vantage point than he th- you know what i mean and that's <clears throat> that's that that's really important so that's really it's a great it's a great analogy because the producer just has a different vantage point and you got i mean you got to try we've worked with producers too that i don't trust and that's that's difficult who you know whose opinions i i, I don't oh, trust and, and that that's, and that's, and really that's rough looking to elevate your music career DistroKid is a digital music distribution service that enables musicians to distribute their music to online stores and streaming platforms such as Spotify, Apple Music, YouTube Music, Amazon, Tidal, and many more. DistroKid collects earnings and payments, sending them to you, the artist. With DistroKid, artists unlock a world of possibilities. From easily paying collaborators with splits to securing your music with DistroLock, DistroKid covers all bases. Plus, you can promote your releases with HyperFollow and create eye-catching visuals with the Spotify Canvas Generator, all for free. But that's not all. Introducing the DistroKid app, now available on iOS and Android. Artists can manage their releases, view streaming stats, and withdraw earnings, all from the palm of their hand. And for those looking to perfect their sound, check out Mixia. With its simple interface and customizable mastering options, artists can make their music sound polished and professional within minutes. And don't forget about Instant Share, DistroKid's newest feature. Share large files securely with collaborators, producers, and more, ensuring your music streams at the highest quality. Ready to take your music to the next level? Download the DistroKid app and explore their suite of tools today. Plus, listeners can enjoy 30% off their first year by visiting distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. That's distrokid.com slash VIP slash Demakes. 
that's that's rough because I've I've had the same thing where you realize okay we're butting heads just to butt heads this isn't working versus the producer that like you said is is trying to get the message in the song across so that it's going to resonate with the listener because that's what he's there for that's what we're there for as songwriters we want our music to resonate yeah and a good producer is is there to make the best version of you and not like to to necessarily force their opinion or the way they would have done things like we did a record with gil norton um who's a fucking genius he's done he did the color and the shape for foo fighters right he's done yeah counting crows like the pixies He's he, did, a, he's he did a Jimmy Roll record. It's the Futures. Yeah, he did Futures. Yep, yep. He's, yeah, he's a fucking genius. And we did a record with him. And he's a real old school type producer where he's not a songwriter. He doesn't play instruments. He doesn't write songs. He doesn't even engineer. He is just, a, he listens and he says, this is what I hear. This is what I like it or I don't like it. And here's why I don't like it. So now, <laughs> so you know what I mean? And like yeah. that, that's the old school way of producing because now, you know, for the most part, producers are uh, a lot of producers are songwriters, you know, they're songwriters or they're musicians in their own right. Frustrated so, musicians. Yeah. <laughs> right. Well, so, you know, their opinions are a, a lot of time are coming from a place as, a place of, well, this is what I would have done. You know what I mean? And that doesn't make it right. You know, so, right. you know, th that was a really cool experience with Gil where what he had no, like, <clears throat> this is what I would have done. He, he just made Jimmy Eat World sound like a great version of Jimmy Eat World. And he made Counting Crows sound like a great version of Counting Crows. And there's no mold. He doesn't come with a mold where a lot of producers do. Yeah, he did your 2011 <laughs> record, K Killing Time. Gil, yes. That was one. Yeah. Right. Okay. Yeah, I got that here. Our um, major label. Uh, I, I know you've been to that. You, you've seen that movie too. Our major label, uh, <laughs> however much you want to spend, you could spend record. Yeah, yeah. Uh, yeah. We, 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 had, we had a couple of those. We had a, se we had a sequel, which was never as good as the first one. <laughs> yeah, I wish labels would, would just throw money at us again, but uh, I think those days are over. Everybody in our world gets to make that record, right? Yeah. Everybody, everybody every, like all the, all the punk bands, I think, get to make the record where, <laughs> where it's like, hey, you know, you're going you're gonna to have all the opportunities you always wished you had, but just once because it's not going to work the way you think it is. And then, yeah, yeah, then yeah. It's, you're, gonna, you're going back to reality in three years. Years, you're not all going to be green day you know yeah <laughs> yeah so that the, the record we made with gil because i mean essentially what we did with that record too and i know we're getting off topic with the walking wounded but no no it's perfect Keep, yeah, what great. we did with that record was we signed we were done with our victory contract and we signed a wind up and we then so then we were spending creed's money <laughs> and evanescence's money <laughs> and um you know we had basically had what to us seemed like an unlimited budget i'm sure there was a number on it but it was just, you know, it was basically like we could do whatever we want. We said, all right, so who, you know, who do you want to hire? Who do you want to make the record? We said, well, I, I think the color and the shape is the best sounding rock record that's ever been made. So let's hire that guy. And it was like, okay, well, who do you want to engineer? They're like, well, let's hire the color and the shape guy too. And then I was like, all right, well, who do you want to mix it? I'm like, what's a guy? Let's hire the color and the shape guy. So we just, <laughs> so that that's what we did. The whole color and the shape team made it. And then when we, we there's a bunch of strings on that record. Who do you want to arrange it? And it was like, oh, I like the strings on Melancholy and the Infinite Sadness are cool strings. Let's hire, let's hire her. Yeah. You know, so. Yeah, that was like it was like like um, fantasy camp, you know. Well, and, and and good for you guys because man, 2011's getting late in terms of people selling a lot of music. You know, oh, for sure, yeah. Streaming and downloading and everything else was through the roof by that point. So the fact that you guys got a deal and got some money thrown at you, good for you because it was uh, was definitely over for us by then. I mean, we uh, our last major label deal ended in in, in 07, and we we saw the writing on the wall. We're like, eh, that's probably the last one we're gonna get. Yeah. <laughs> Yeah, yeah, we were late to that party for sure. No, uh, but good for you. At least you, at least you uh, were, were able to get in on it before it completely evaporated. Because as you know, uh, the that kind of money just doesn't exist uh, anymore. But we were coming off of we were on Victory Records for like you know eight years leading up to it, so it was it couldn't have been the the contrast couldn't have been any more stark. Yeah, for sure, for sure. We went from like never seeing a dime to like here's more money than you, than you ever thought you'd make. Yeah. Um, I, I, lo I love to ask uh, the, this questions of the guests when they bring a song in. Um, if, 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 is this a song that you play have played every time uh, you guys play a show since, since it was uh, released? This one we don't. And I, I mean, I, I know that you can relate to this one for sure. It's like we 
we're I think eight eight records in now. Yeah, with a few you know supplementals, eight records plus EPs plus acoustic records plus what it covers whatever else. Um, so it just it gets hard, it gets so hard to to fit everything in, and this one is a really important song and I'd say we play it probably 75% of the time but it's not a must play. Devotion Desire is a must play. Duality is a must yes, play. Yes, right. And I was going to say there are songs you have to play or you get crucified, you know. Well, I always look at it like and I don't know if you if you guys approach um towards the same way. We look at it the the bigger the shows, like if when we're when we got a strong package coming with us and we go do cuz that's the way we we plan our tours is sometimes we do underplay tours and we take out smaller bands um, and then sometimes we we take a swing and we do real big venues and we take out bigger bands. When we build a strong package, we take a swing. So the way we approach the set lists is um, the more people that are there, the more fair weather fans are going to be there is the sure. way I, I, I think of it. So when we reach a certain threshold of capacities is when I start thinking like, okay, half the people here only know devotion and desire and duality and we got to give them what what they want and when we play smaller venues on smaller on like underplay tours is when we could like dig deeper that's sort of the way i think well yeah you know that the super fans are going to be there you could you know you could you could play anything and they're going to go crazy which is a great feeling which is a great feeling the smaller the show the 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 deeper we dig but once we when we play the bigger ones is when we kind of just stick to the hits because we know that's that's who's there yeah, and you just kind of made me think of something. I, have, I haven't asked a, a guest this yet, and I, and I get asked this, and I know my answer. But uh, you know, uh, big shows, small shows, medium shows. What what do you prefer to play? Um, I like it all. We just came off of a like a re, a serious underplay tour. Um, that's the last tour we did pre coronavirus, um, and we were doing like chain reaction and uh the troubadour yeah you know like four or five hundred capacity places um so mega mega underplay and that's a blast but it's not comfortable it's not very it's not a comfortable day you know what i mean like those aren't those aren't awesome places to spend 12 hours yeah, here's your broom closet you can hang out yeah. and see you play <laughs> right so the, you know that's a bit of a bummer um the shows also um more often than not we're getting violent there was a lot of fighting because I think that we are a band with a very diverse fan base and there's a lot of older people who come to the shows. We have a lot of the stand in the back types. Um, that's but me. We also, yeah, that's me too. <laughs> but we also still have this a kids mosh at our show still, you know? Yeah, so yeah. when you put all those, all those people in the same, in, in like a little like 400 capacity room, like there's not enough room for them to coexist really. Yeah. You know, whereas like, you know, the places that we usually play, like if you want to go hang out on the balcony, you go there. If you want to go in the pit, you go there. But it's in the smaller places, it's all the same thing. So there was a lot of fighting at the shows, um, a lot of people getting on stage, knocking shit over, which is fun. Um, but also, you know, it makes it hard to play, mm-hmm. you know, and it's all it's dangerous, too. Have you ever taken a microphone to the teeth? Uh, not to the teeth, believe it or not, but one we were in one time in Cleveland, uh, the grog shop, somebody crowd surfed um, and landed on the microphone and then me. So it was, it was them, <laughs> then the microphone stand and then me and they broke it broke oh. my pinky. <laughs> Jeez. Yeah. Well, well, Chris, you took the uh, words right out of my mouth with the with the teeth. Yeah. I used to have longer front teeth. They keep getting shorter <laughs> because I have, I, have to, I seriously I have to go get them filed at the dentist. You know, and like and the, and then so this one will be longer. I'm like, well, now you got to file the other one to make it the same size as the other fucking front tooth that I got freaking. Well, all and, three of us play instruments and sing. So yeah. The, so there's a lot. The guys who don't have to play an instrument are you know they got it. They got it e- a lot easier. Yeah. If you're a singer, you're holding the mic. You still have one hand to defend, to defend yourself. You know. Yeah. You're sitting you're a sitting duck when you're if you're standing there with at a mic stand with a guitar in your hand you broke your you broke your pinky that sucks yeah it sucked i went backstage well Uh, you know backstage which hand your strumming hand or your finger my strumming hand yeah it was my strumming hand so i went i walked off stage and i went into the broom closet at the grog shop and i taped my hand into a fist (laughs) With a pick in it, and then I <laughs> <laughs> just finished. That's pretty like, badass, man. 
Yeah, I was punk back then. Today, today I would have taken a week <laughs> off. But yeah, 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 you were you were definitely the walking wounded that day. Yeah, I was a I was a punk back then. Definitely, if that happened now, the tour is over. Hey, I have a, I have all. a I have a question for you, real quick. Uh, this is, um, you know, you have been. I want to talk about the importance of a guest vocalist. You have been a guest vocalist on a couple of punchline songs. Thank you for thank you for doing that. Yeah. Uh, yeah. But on Walking <laughs> Wounded, you had wh- who I like to refer to as the fawns of the punk rock scene. Dude, yeah. I mean, Vinny, Vinny, uh, you know, people will know him from the movie Life and I Am the Avalanche is just like yeah. the definition of cool guy uh, fr- from his. Yep, I mean, from his personality in general but also his stage presence and his voice and i you couldn't have picked a better guest vocalist on this song that was like it's like he was meant to sing that part in this song it's amazing fix me i'm so tired of getting out of bed but who would want to die as a cowardly little child when our time is up yeah, he is the coolest, man. I remember the year we started Bayside, I remember going to, like, uh, the movie life was such a big deal in Long, especially in Long Island. Oh, they were huge. I, yeah, and I remember going to, to, you know, I grew up in high school going to see the movie life. So, I I remember one show in particular that it was at a catering hall in Long Island, and there, was, there had to be a thousand people in this fucking catering hall. And... Vinny got on stage and he was wearing a backpack and he sang that he did the whole show with a backpack on. <laughs> he went out and got a backpack the next time. <laughs> I still bust his balls about it, man. Because in hindsight, it was so fucking silly, but like, that's just how cool he was. He just, you know what I mean? He just did. But what weird. did he have in that backpack? I, uh, man, he told, I asked him since, cause I didn't know him then. I was a fan, you know, like we how much shit do you need in the show? You know, I, like. I've asked him since, and he told me that it was probably a black book. He had a black book in it, which is like his graffiti book. Oh, <laughs> oh my god! <laughs> yeah, that's pretty awesome, man. Uh, I think yeah. that, that's gonna be my next look. I'm gonna wear a backpack on stage for no reason. And Do why, it. Why, why are you wearing that? Well, I'm inspired by Anthony's story of, of Vinny from Movie Life. Oh yeah. <laughs> Yeah, man. I mean, like our manager, we had a manager for, for like 10 years, Nate Albert, who I'm sure you know, Chris, from the Mighty Mighty Boss Absolutely, Tones. of course. Um, you guys both have a che- checkered past together, I'm sure. Nate um, Nate told me once that it's uh, you don't want to go to the cool party. You want the party to be cool because you're there. And I, I've always, I've, I've always taken that. I've always taken that really seriously, you know. And that's, I think that's that's wearing a backpack on stage to me. It's like, you know, yeah. wearing a backpack's cool because I'm fucking doing it, you know. Yeah. Man, <laughs> that's an that. awesome saying. That's a, I, that's I, a great wow. analogy. Yeah. That's like, yeah. Yeah. No, I've taken that with me ever since. I think that way all the time, and I pass it off as my own advice to younger bands every fucking day. That's awesome. That's that's a big part of, of Bayside's like mentality. We that's one of our sayings. Another another one of our mottos is it's it's not my fault, but it is my problem. That or it's not my that that's that's one. We got a lot of words to live by within Bayside, but you know we're not going to the cool party. We're gonna the party's cool because we're there is definitely something that that we think about. Hey, I this is a question kind of for both of you guys as you know, coming up and when you're a new band, I don't know if less, less than Jake, it seemed like you guys paved your own way, but I know Bayside, I know you guys, you know, we kind of came up together and we're like, I was saying, playing those holes in the ground and whatever back in the day. But yeah. do you guys remember, and, and I'd be interested to hear if less than Jake had this experience. I'm sure everyone does, but trying so hard to fit in to whatever that thing was at the time. And I can remember at, at a certain point it was like, Oh, I just want to be in with like drive through records bands or I want or I want to be yeah, in yeah. with, uh, you know, a vagrant records, but you know, it was, it was labels. A lot of times kind of the label thing is kind of subsided now with the streaming of music, but it was definitely like these groups of bands, these clicks of bands that were associated with record labels. And, uh, you know, I, I guess I wonder like, did less than Jake have this, like, Cr- this like group or click that you wanted to be in real bad or did and did bayside have that you know 
Well, I mean, speaking for us, just quickly, you know, again, it was it was pre-social media, so it was a little harder to keep up with the Joneses. I mean, everything was too, all the news was two months late. You get Maximum Rock and Roll or Flipside or some of these magazines. And, you know, so for us, I mean, it wasn't, you know, we were, we were kind of doing our own thing and playing with bands within our scene. But if, to answer your question, we could have uh, uh, aspired to be something, quote unquote, it would have been to get on Fat Records. Yeah, Fat Records. Uh, look, look, look out Records to a degree before they, they took a dive in the late 90s but look out and fat and, and epitaph those three those three labels we and we tried to get on epitaph and fat and we got rejection letters from both but then you eventually did go yeah. you did you eventually did release stuff on fat <laughs> we did because because yeah. mike knew, because mike knew he could make money off us at that point son of a bitch. <laughs> you talked about i have a rejection letter yeah, from everybody fat everybody does somewhere. everybody has a rejection <laughs> letter from fat it's it's like a you know i would like if i could find mine i would frame it and hang in my wall right now because it is all always like nope not interested <laughs> well my my, rede- my my redemption is is uh, i always say i have i don't have a gold or platinum or silver record i have a bronze uh copper record on my wall from fat records for selling a hundred thousand copies of Borders oh, and Boundaries. so and and that was sent to me with a letter from mike so that's my redemption nice <laughs> that's great the Walking Wounded sold 100,000 copies, but we were on Victory at the time who was selling like multiple millions of copies of other records. So, our, this so we were a failure. <laughs> isn't that isn't that fucked up? Yeah, we we didn't get a plaque for 100,000. We got a sure I guess we'll put out your next record. Yeah. The record label owner didn't even show up to our show and we were in Chicago. What the fuck? Dude. <laughs> dude, grass is always greener, man. You know, like I I I remember <laughs> That's true. You guys were on an enormous Dude, label fucking or what became an it wasn't enormous when no, you signed it to it but it became i know enormous. man and what's crazy is like you know I, I we we talk about this as a band all the time is like okay like punchline albums like action and 37 everywhere between that united states and japan and stuff you know probably sold like 35,000 40,000 albums of those but and that would have been that's it that's big that's like compared to 99.9 percent of bands that's amazing yeah yeah totally but at the very same time, this band called Fallout Boy, and then uh, Pank at the Disco, and Jim Class Heroes, and Academy of Paramore, they they <laughs> all just happened to exist at that exact same time on that. And so all of a sudden, like what what should have been like this huge step and accomplishment felt like not it felt like nothing and that's a bummer because like that's an accomplishment to sell that many albums. But you know, Absolutely. you know, come back to Pittsburgh, and and that is like. An, enor- an enormous amount. I mean, other than, you know, Rusted Root and Anti-Flag, like that's a fucking enormous amount for a band from where we're from. <laughs> but but, we're, but we got to look at, we got to look at, uh, f- you know, Fallout Boy or whoever, like selling millions of albums and like, oh God, we what are we doing wrong? So yeah, man, grass is always greener on that stuff, I think. Yeah, we were on top of the world and meanwhile, Hawthorne Heights has, has sold to like 2 million records yeah. or something at the same time. Yeah, yeah, it's just, I don't know. You kind of, you kind of got to ignore, I think you got to ignore those kind of things around you and just and just c- concentrate on your accomplishment and well going back to what you said going back to what you said or, or your, what you asked earlier was like I, I, there was definitely times that we wanted to fit in we wanted to be on drive through we wanted to be on vagrant we wanted to be on <clears throat> on those labels we wanted to to be part of a scene because that was a jumping off point you know what i mean if you could be part of this scene if you could be like these bands then all the people who like those bands would like your band too that's the mentality right but we right around this time right around walking wounded 2007 was the first time we did a full warp tour we had done like a handful of shows in years past but 2007 we did the whole warp tour that summer and i remember you know thinking about the part you know that that the you know the party's cool because we're there thing and i remember looking at no effects and looking at bad religion specifically on that tour that summer and thinking like holy shit they're like a fucking gang like you know what i mean like they're not they're not part of a scene like they they are the fucking scene you know what i mean like they're not part of anything they're like and i just remember like when they'd walk into a room and it's still like that i chris i remember a couple of years ago, I filled in for for No Effects playing guitar, and we did we we were doing stuff together in Japan. Uh huh. Um, and I remember like walking into a building with No Effects, you know what I mean, like as like a temporary member of No Effects, and the way like even other bands like like look at look at them when they walk into a room, you know what I mean, like oh shit, 
You know what oh, I mean? I mean, Even, yeah, they're, they're, like they're big they're, bands, they're, big yeah, bands. Yeah, when they walk into a room, like would Offspring would be in a room, and No Effects would walk in, they'd be like, "It's fucking, it's fucking No Effects." You <laughs> yeah, know what I mean? They're superstars like, within our scene. They're 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 like the gods that we looked up to. You know? Yeah. So I remember seeing that that summer, summer of two thousand seven, when we were promoting Walking Wounded and being like, "That's what I want to be." Like, you know what I mean? I want to I want to fucking intimidate other bands. That's what I want. <laughs> well, you intimidate me. I'll tell you that. <laughs> Especially when you go into a, a part with a friggin' accordion. I could never pull that off. I'm jealous. <laughs> I'm angry a little bit. And I'm when I when we get off here, I'm going to I'm going to actually attempt to write a crazy song. Do it. I, might, I might even enlist Shep and Kenny to help me out with this thing. <laughs> um, Anthony, Anthony, I want to thank you uh, for taking the time to talk to me today. I know you're a busy man. And before we go, uh, please let our listeners. Uh, uh, in on what's going on in your world, Bayside's world, and and, and all the above? Um, you know, well, we've spent the last four months locked in our houses. Um, we are just plotting. We're supposed to be on a, on a, like I said, the last tour we did going into uh, the coronavirus was a super underplay tour. And four days ago, we were supposed to start the biggest tour that we've that we've ever done, which is no longer happening. We're planning it for it's, a, it's our 20 year anniversary right now. This is our 20 year anniversary. Congratulations! And thank you. And unfortunately, we're spending it taking the year off. Looks like, um, but next year we're gonna do. We're rescheduling what was gonna be the 20 year anniversary, which will now be the 21st anniversary. It should still be the 20th. This year doesn't count. As far You're as right. I'm concerned. Well, what's funny is that we you know we have a song, we have a popular song called "Blame It on Bad Luck," and the tour was we were calling it uh, 20 years of bad luck. And um, which couldn't have been more perfect because now we get to take that same ad mat and just cross out 20 and make it 20, <laughs> 21. And it's it, it, the marketing just it, it, it markets itself that our tw- 20 years of bad luck tour got canceled because of bad luck. Hello, it is Ryan, and we could all use an extra bright spot in our day, couldn't we? Just to make up for things like sitting in traffic, doing the dishes, counting your steps, you know, all the mundane stuff. That is why I'm such a big fan of Chumba Casino. Chumba Casino has all your favorite social casino-style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere with daily bonuses. That should brighten your day a little. Actually, a lot. So sign up now at ChumbaCasino.com. That's ChumbaCasino.com. No purchase necessary. BGW group. Void or prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus. Uh, well, you know, you can uh, turn the proverbial lemons into lemonade. And I'm, I, I know that it's going to be uh, amazingly successful when you finally do get back out there. Yeah, it's going to be great. And I mean, we, you know, we're still sort of promoting. We're still technically within our Interrobang record cycle, which is our newest record. Uh, and it's amazing. It's the best record we've ever made. It's fucking so good. Um, so we're still we're still within that record cycle, which we're excited about. Good for you. Good for you. Well, again, thank you. And I want to thank my producer, Chris Fafalios, for joining us. Thanks for on this episode. <laughs> your, your, your debut. Now people know your voice. So when you uh, jump in and ridicule me on future episodes, yeah. they'll know, oh, I know who that is. <laughs> people are going to come in and say, don't <laughs> let that guy talk anymore. <laughs> he's, he's unimportant. Don't it, let him talk. Wait, why is his audio so much louder than yours? He's <laughs> not acting like Robin Quivers. Yeah, come on, right. bury him in the mix. <laughs> <laughs> all right, Anthony. Hey, man, thank you again uh, uh, for taking the time. I, I really appreciate it my friend yeah thank you guys thanks for having me the rap with chris and chris all right man well that was an awesome episode and uh i gotta thank you so much for having me on this episode well i i i had to introduce you at some point because uh, you're kind of the brains behind this operation <laughs> oh that's nice of you to say no and it was it, it was really cool because i didn't know the history you had with the bayside guys i had no idea yeah man and you know what i think about with bayside is i got a lot of respect for them uh you know they're my friends whatever so of course i have respect for them but Musically, I have a lot of respect for them because they're always pushing the envelope, taking chances with the presentation of their songs and with their songwriting. Uh, They're not afraid to take these wild chances like you were talking about in this episode uh, on this song. This is a wild song, but it's still Bayside. They never lose that. they still retain who they are. You know, if you look at their origins, you know, they were, uh, you know, I don't say this disparaging. They were another pop punk band from, from, uh, you know, New York area. Right. And they have just evolved into the, you know, when you hear them, you, you know, it's them, they have their own sound, but, uh, it's awesome. Right. And you know, they were, I, I, I keep harping on this, but I love the Nate Albert quote about, you know, not wanting to go to the cool party, but having the party being cool because you're there. And that really does sum up, 
Bayside. The other thing I wanted to touch on about this episode was Anthony talking about after their tragedy, um, you were asking them, like, were you writing music? Were you thinking about, are the fans going to like this? And how he talked about uh, they wrote music and not even worrying about that. If the fans liked it, that was great. But if the fans didn't like it, they were writing music that they liked for themselves. It was a um, it was a release after a tragedy. And I guess what I was kind of wondering was, have you ever experienced something like that? Have you or do you always approach it from a standpoint of thinking about what people are going to think about this song? Or sometimes do you write a song just being like, this is a release for me. And if people like it, that's cool. But if not, then fuck them. <laughs> you know, like, yeah, well, you know, I, I only think about it in, in the aspect of, you know, you know, are people going to like this uh, after, after the fact, like, I wonder like, wow, or sometimes I'm like, I think our fans are really going to love this. It's going to, you know, touch them on some emotional level, but it's, you know, I, I don't write with the, uh, the sole intention of, of, of writing a certain way to, to please anybody. And yeah, as far as a release, I mean, there's, there's records that we have done and songs that, uh, you know, I have a hard time putting on because I, they take me right back to certain things in my life, be it a death or a breakup. And, um, you know, they're, uh, they're painful, but at the same time, uh, they have a healing quality to them. You know, Absolutely. you're able to move, you're able to move past, uh, you know, and that again, I've always said, man, music's the one constant in my life that, uh, that has never, never let me down. It's always been there. Yeah, for sure, man. I'm in, in the same boat. I now listen to music while I sleep. I put on music pretty low. <laughs> Subliminally. I, dude, I do. And I have like a soundtrack to my <laughs> dreams and it like, it helps. And I have it. It's, it's, I listen to it pretty low. And then when I wake up in the morning, I just turn that same album up and it is just nonstop music from the time it's 24 hours a day minus when I'm talking to you on a podcast or something. It's just, I need that all the time. And you're right. It has a healing quality to it that I find better than any, you know, drug or any, uh, you know, anything it's, it's just always there. And it's, I mean, it's awesome that we get to do that, man. It's, it's a, it's a big help. It's it's therapy, you know? And, uh, I kind of picked up on that through, you know, Anthony talking about, uh, walking wounded and, uh, in, I always feel that in their music and, uh, you know, it's, it's really interesting hearing Anthony talk. Uh, I always enjoy sitting down and talking to that dude because it's just a cool perspective on everything on songwriting on, on everything. And he is, does seem like a sort of reclusive person if you don't know him, but if you know him, then, you know, he's pretty outgoing, friendly guy to talk to, you know? And, uh, and I think that comes through on this episode. Absolutely. I, I do too. Yeah. It was, uh, he's, he's, he's great to talk to and he's, uh, he's one of the, uh, the most real people in uh, this sometimes very fake uh, business that we're in. He has one of those voices, you know, he could sing one line. You're like, Oh, yep. That's Anthony Ranieri, yep. you know? And, and there's a lot of people you can't say that about. There's a lot of people that have like this same exact voice <laughs> that like, I can't tell these bands apart because it's all the same voice, but yeah, he has a very distinctive voice, which is really cool. So yeah, man, I think this was a really great episode. Uh, I hope people enjoyed it. And before we go, I'm, I'm going to be, I'm going to be your, your producer and tell you that we should, we should probably talk about, uh, how you could write a song for somebody that could be the a release for somebody who maybe doesn't write songs or never has. So you could still get your feelings or your, uh, your message out through vicariously through you. If you want to mention that, right. <laughs> well, right? Uh, thank you for, for offering me the opportunity for to shameless <laughs> plug my shameless plug. Yeah. Um, yes. I'd love to write you a custom song, your very own song, a jingle or voiceover for your business podcast or brand. Uh, you can email me at Krista makes at gmail.com. I also do one-on-one live video consultations. Uh, this could be anything from uh, song collaborations, producing, uh, uh, you know, melodies, lyrics, uh, harmonies. Uh, it could also be a uh, general music uh, related uh, music business questions. Uh, so I'm there for that. You can also email me at uh, kristamakesgmail.com for that. Uh, you can find me on the web at Instagram at less than Chris D, Twitter at less than Chris, and my Facebook group is uh, Krista Makes Official. Uh, and if you would, please join the Krista Makes a Podcast Facebook group and uh, hit us with your suggestions of who you'd like to see on this show in the future. Yeah, man, for sure. That, that, uh, I've never seen one person in that group. Uh, I've seen nothing but 
uh, raving reviews about songs that you've done for people too. So, uh, you know, not not one complaint yet. <laughs> not not yet. Not no, yet. no. Which me, which means it's coming by law, the law uh, of mathematics. <laughs> <laughs> I hope. But uh, yeah, and and please uh, leave us a review and uh, uh, any, anywhere where you uh, listen to podcasts, we we really appreciate it. Hell yeah, man! It's time for today's Lucky Land horoscope with Victoria Cash. Life's gotten mundane, so shake up the daily routine and be adventurous with a trip to Lucky Land. You know what they say. Your chance to win starts with a spin. So go to LuckyLandSlots.com to play over 100 social casino-style games for free for your chance to redeem some serious prizes. Get lucky today at LuckyLandSlots.com. Available to players in the U.S., excluding Washington and Michigan. No purchase necessary. VGW Group. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. The number you have reached is 100.7 WMMS. It wasn't just a radio station, it was a lifestyle. Cleveland is, is a rock and roll city for sure. Yeah! Yeah! Down! The Wrath of the Buzzer. WMMS. Cleveland. The rise and fall of one of the most iconic radio stations in America. Profiles. The Wrath of the Buzzard. P-R-O-H Files. Subscribe now wherever you get podcasts.